Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for educational leaders brought to you by Central Michigan University, the Center for Charter Schools, a leader in educational choice and option. My name is Orlando Castellan. Uh, I am with the Center for Charter Schools, and I'm here with my partner, Janelle Brzezinski. Uh, welcome, Janelle. Hi, thanks, Orlando. Great to be here. And um, for those that are, are new listeners to the podcast, we always like to share um, that you can find the episodes on our website, which is the centerforcharters.org. We're also available on all podcast platforms, whether that's Apple, Stitcher, or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure and subscribe um, so you don't miss an episode. And um, today we're talking to Renaissance Public School Academy, who's one of our CMU partner schools. They are um, a recent winner of the 2020-2021 school year um, for our Innovation and Vision Awards. So as an office, we started this award. Um, this is our second annual that we've awarded now and have just wanted to find a way to celebrate the really unique nature of some of our schools and give schools a platform to share about their innovative practices, whether that be an educational model, maybe a project that they do with their students or some unique community partnerships that they might have. Um, so this is the second year we've done this and really excited to be able to give schools this opportunity and environment to share more about um, them and what makes them unique. So um, typically it's something that would be done um, in person at our annual conference. Um, as this past fall, we were not able to have that in person. We shifted to a virtual um, platform and we had three finalists this year that were selected from um, schools that applied for the award. Those three finalists made a video about what makes them unique and then our schools um, voted um, in an online contest um, after watching those videos. So this was something that they were selected by their peers for this award and um, just really excited to be able to hear their insights um, as the recipients of this year's Innovation and Vision Award. Yeah, and we have uh, Lisa Bergman, who is the executive director that's going to be joining us and Lisa Seitzma, um, who is a board member, currently the board treasurer and vice president, but has served on the board for over 15 years. Um, the Academy opened in 1996 and is preparing to celebrate its 25th year uh, of service to students in the mid-Michigan community. So we're really excited to have them on and for them to share the, uh, how their innovative uh, project-based learning education uh, delivery mechanism works for their school and community. So stay tuned, really excited, should be a great conversation. Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders. incredibly grateful to have Lisa Bergman and Lisa Seitzma joining us today. Lisa Bergman's the executive director of Renaissance Public School Academy and Lisa Seitzma, a board member, current treasurer and VP at the school. And we're excited to have them today because uh, they are the recent recipients of the Innovation and Vision Award. Congratulations to both of you. Uh, this award is to celebrate um, some of our schools and really celebrates what makes them unique and innovative. And so we're appreciative of the hard work they're doing at Renaissance Public School Academy and really wonder um, if one of you want to jump in and let us let our audience know what makes Renaissance unique. 
I'll jump in. This is Lisa Bergman, Executive Director at Renaissance. Orlando, I would say, you know, first and foremost, it's the people, but you need to dig a little bit deeper than, than that. Um, it's, it is, um, you know, the professionals that work at Renaissance who are making our vision and mission come alive for us on a daily basis, who are truly um, exceptional professionals in the field, um, looking at education through a different lens. Um, our families and the community of people that choose to support the school and make the choice to come to Renaissance really add a unique uh, uniqueness to who we are as a school. And then day to day, the students that walk through our doors and the work that they're doing. And, uh, you know, they are our evidence that the work we are trying to do around our mission and vision is possible. Um, and so that would be my first answer to that. Just the people that are under this roof every day are, are pretty incredible. And you talked a little bit about the unique nature of your school. Uh, Miss Lisa Diaz, can you tell us a little bit about the, the project-based learning? And you guys made a transition to that a number of years ago. Tell us a little bit more about that and what facilitated that transition. Yeah, so we were what I would say is an alternative school in the district or in the community. Um, and for many years um, served that role. And, you know, I actually selected the school and sent my, my children there. And, and the, the uniqueness, I think, was that it was a K-8 uh, in one building. And, you know, everybody knew, the kids knew and the teachers knew. And it was a good school. It really was a good school. But it wasn't a, it wasn't a different school in our community. It wasn't meeting a specific need in our community. Um, and so about, gosh, this was probably eight years ago, we started to have a conversation of, we're a good school, but is it the school that we really need in this community? And that discussion led the board on a whole journey in regards to who is it that we want to be and who is it that we want to serve? And um, through that process, in fact, um, connected with Lisa Bergman and, and just said, Lisa, dream with us. And when we, when we brought Lisa into the school, we, we really said, we're not exactly sure who we want to be. You know, we looked at project-based schools. We looked at IB schools. We looked at um, all different kinds of school models and, and designs. And we figured, trying to figure out what is it that the students that attend Renaissance and in, in our community needs. And from there, we really turned the school kind of upside down. Um, it took us some time, I, Lisa Bergman and, and I now looking back think, oh yeah, maybe it wasn't that long, but it was, it took us some time, but we turned it upside down and we really recreated who we were, who we stand for, how we were gonna approach education and, and the project-based inquiry-based we like to use as well, really is what drove kind of the, I would say Renaissance 2.0 um, and has created such a great opportunity for a different educational approach in our community. And that's, that's what we intended to be from the start. And now we've really achieved that um, as a school. And when we speak to project-based learning, you know, always helpful to hear, you know, maybe a specific example for those that are not as familiar with the educational model. Um, Lisa Bourbon, can you share a few um, maybe projects or recent um, initiatives um, to really show how that learning comes to life for the students in your building? There are two main ways that I, that we focus on um, currently 
to have them come alive. And those are um, in a team approach. So as Lisa said, we are K-8, we are also multi-age. So we have teams of 100 students um, who span two grade levels, traditional grade levels. So for example, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh, eighth. So at any given time, all students on those teams are tackling uh, what we call a driving question. Um, and over the, as Lisa said, in our journey um, as adults, adult learners and professionals, we have become and better at creating those questions that give more flexibility and openness to where students want their learning to, to go. So at any given time, a team is working around probably a science or a social studies project with language arts and math and other subject areas intertwined, the, the books they're reading, the writing they're doing, um, but answering a question as, as broad as, as possible. So for example, um, we have done now with those multi-age teams, there's a two-year um, calendar and approach for the learning. Um, and we have twice um, tackled in fifth and sixth grade, um, some sustainability questions around science and social studies and fresh water in the world. And our students have collectively put on um, two World Water Day events, which is sanctioned through the UN um, two years ago, pre-COVID, that was held um, off-site at a conference center. They had speakers and drawings and booths. And um, it was an, an event that um, not only touched them, but they invited students from the CMU community and from different organizations and such. This year, um, it was time to tackle a similar kind of question again, and it was it needed to happen virtually. Um, so the students did a, a full day of Twitter kind of outreach, um, it's, it reached across the country and did, did uh, different informational videos and sent tweets. I know Lisa can talk to it a little bit because she had someone um, participate. So there's that is the first idea is that it's not just the teacher in front of the room giving information about freshwater issues in the world in a lecture style and then a, a test or assessment at the end. This is more pose the question to students and the teacher becomes the guide as they figure out how to answer that question and ideally make an impact on the world, teach others about what they're learning, um, you know, build awareness. Uh, there's that piece. And then the other is that we make a conscious effort to the student voice and choice and who they are as individuals and give time um, throughout each week or in some classrooms each day for students to choose individual projects. So they ask their own question and then are set on a journey to answer that question. And the culmination of that is some form of public audience or presentation, either to peers, to, to staff members, some take it outside of school walls, um, social media and you know the internet now allows them to really have access across, across the globe. Sometimes it's as simple as learning to ride a horse and talking about puppies and our, why do some people think unicorns are real uh, to um, talking about um, very complex um, scientific um, questions or um, medical issues, current day issues, and then they are the presenters um, to either their peers or to others. So that is the way it really comes alive in, to, in the big picture and the individual way.
for students at Renaissance. And I think there's some really also, Lisa, some other things that come out of that. It's the goal setting piece. I mean, the way that they do goal setting with students and the student does the goal setting and the, the teacher is, is continuing to probe and do inquiry on, you know, is that goal going to get you far enough? Um, and then the last piece that they take on, and I think it is phenomenal, the learning that kids see out of this, not just in content learning, but in learning that you're going to need for your whole life. And it, that's the feedback cycles they go through. They go through peer feedback cycles. They go through um, feedback cycles with, with their teachers or with the you know, individual that they're presenting to or with. There's such learning that comes from having others input into you know, their, their interest area and then help them continue to develop and, and grow their thinking around it. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, certainly those life skills benefits like you're sharing are really, you know, even past the competencies um, that you're looking at, that it's really setting them up for the future and their professional life and, and everywhere that they'll go from here. So that just all sounds tremendous. And I'm sure um, you probably see a lot of a lot of light bulb and passion moments when they do pick those individual projects. I'm sure Lisa Bergman, do you have any examples of that of students that really have come alive looking at an item or a project that they're really interested so, you know, I, again, think of a year or two ago when we all were, you know, would gather and pack the gym and the student, you know, she had been, she had been a dancer and, but had never had the opportunity to compose her own piece. Right. So, and then looking at music and the message and the story and it evolved into poetry and, but she performed that you know, both live and, and on video. So there are those opportunities that sometimes we think, well, you know, she's just dancing. Well, there was just so many other pieces um, to that. And then there are those that take on either civic or social justice pieces and want to, and what the individual project allows for is it does it lets us loosen up a little bit and not be so uptight about, well, you know, what can school talk about? What can school teach when it's coming from the student and they're doing the learning and the, it is their, um, their, as we say, passion or interest, um, we can allow for so much more flexibility than what may be in, you know, the typical standards from the state of Michigan. Uh, and some have looked at this, you know, to a couple of students, the similarities and differences of world religions, you know, that takes on a whole lot of different topics. And, you know, many times a public school would say, oh, you know, careful, that's a slippery slope. But when you can have a student bringing together their thinking on something and presenting, and then the teacher on the side, guiding that learning, um, validating and talking about sources, um, and what is um, what are, where do we get facts and science and all of those pieces? Uh, at the same time, uh, we do this all the way down to kindergarten. So we talk about, you know, what it means to be a good friend and what are the challenges we're having. And when there's not enough playground balls and jump ropes, like what's a five-year-old see as the solution? And then let them see their solution come into to practice, to be real. Um, I received a video Friday night from a young lady about how school lunch should be significantly different going into next year. And, you know, but that, and she, that's what she wants to do her piece on. And she wants to understand why, um, why school lunches are like they are. And uh, 
She's good. So, but her advocacy was sending me a video um, on Friday evening from her garden. Well, those all sound like powerful learning opportunities and, and definitely innovative. Uh, but I want to go back to something that I heard Lisa Seitz must say earlier. And, and really, as you guys were thinking about developing the idea, um, and you said that there was a tremendous amount of collaboration that took place with your administrator, which we, we know is critically important as um, any entity is, is developing new initiatives. But I also heard that there were some pillars that were set in place that helps guide your work moving forward. And wondering if you could talk about uh, the development of those pillars and how it continues to guide the work that you guys are doing. Yeah, I think originally you know, there were a couple foundational pieces of our, of our process. And that was that um, we knew we wanted to meet the needs of kids in our community and that our current approach, our then approach um, wasn't hitting all the boxes that we wanted to do. So that was number one, it was really kid focused. Um, and then number two was that it needed to have legs around success. So what did the research say? Where was there successful evidence in it? Um, and it needed to be on a pathway, um, we believed that wasn't just solely focused on chasing a test score. Um, we didn't believe that that was gonna create the, um, the student that was going to have that long-term success in in life. And so those were kind of the three things that drove our, our process of exploration. Once we started to explore, um, once Lisa started to dream with us and bring us ideas, and, and we really gave her some time to just a, a year actually to say, Lisa, go learn our school, see what we have, and then go explore and see what we think is going to work. And once we had that, that really began to narrow down our focus and now, and I'll let Lisa talk about, you know, our core pieces that we really work around now. Um, but now we've really gotten more specific into those core pillars of work. And Lisa, you want to talk about those? Yeah. So talk about a journey, right? So over the, you know, over the course of the last few years, I, I mean, I think we had to recognize, like, like Lisa mentioned, in our community, um, we're very fortunate. We have a traditional public school and we're surrounded by other traditional publics that offer a pretty traditional good program. Um, so we had to set set ourselves apart in a way that we truly were a choice. And I think that is just such a gift that we had because of the community we live in and the success in a sense of our traditional public schools meant that we could look outside the box. We could look for ideas that Sometimes the word innovation, right? People think, well, you're just making it up on the fly. And that we were, we were very conscious in saying we wanted something unique for our community and for the students that walked through our door, but we, we weren't totally making it up. We wanted to go and visit places that were successful and that were using best practice as their foundation. That evolved into what we now call our four defining practices. And those four, I think for a while we said foundational walls, we really landed on um, are these four defining practices of that first and foremost connections with students is key. Without those, the rest of the, the pieces are, they're shaky at best. Um, so connections, but then the connections really, we realize it's with students, 
it's board and staff, it's family and teacher. It's just very multifaceted. But if you ignore the piece of connection and relationship, the rest never truly matures to what it could be. Second is um, that we value student voice and choice. And when you look at learning through that lens and you say, is this valuable to students? Is this what, what will enhance their lives and help them realize their passions and such? So voice and choice. Third is a commitment to the, all of the practices around inquiry. And as Lisa said, goal setting, feedback, um, the work of PBL. Oftentimes people think of a nice shoebox with a diorama in it and 25 or 100 you know, space posters that look exactly the same. But true inquiry work is much, much deeper than that. And our fourth uh, defining practice is a commitment and a belief that in um, our own professional growth and that really what drives the work and the future of our mission and vision as a school is our commitment as professionals. And the idea that doesn't matter what students walk through our door and it doesn't matter the, necessarily the family structure that we as professionals um, and the teachers in the classrooms, everybody in this building makes, makes a difference. And you really, there's no end in sight in a sense to who you can be as a professional in this field. Uh, so those are our four connections, voice and choice, inquiry and professional growth. So those are our four defining practices and they have encapsulated the work that we're trying to do now. Well, and as you continue to, to grow and develop, as you're saying, it's a journey. Um, I know you recently expanded your facility as well. Can you talk a little bit about what that, what that journey was like and what opportunity that will open up to, to your students going forward? I'll take the I'll take the big picture part and then I'll let Lisa talk a little bit about how we actually got it done because that is was truly a collaboration um, you know with our board and I think a great example of the potential of partnership between school leadership, school community and, and a school board. Uh, doing project-based learning and inquiry is truly messy, big space, spread out kind of work. And as we right, reached our capacity um, as a school um, and we had full classrooms and started to experience wait lists, we realized where do we put all our stuff? And we thought we were pretty creative. Um, we created an open space in the middle of our school and then that turned into this amazing literacy rich library and we envisioned a space where lots of student presentation could happen uh, and it simply just didn't happen our hallways were packed every time we did a learning celebration it was wonderful but it was sometimes quite literally too hot to even stand it you know back when we could all be together so we started on a journey of saying, okay, exactly how much square footage could we have? Um, what would we do with it? How would that help us achieve our goal? And fortunately um, had a, you know, the expertise within our board to move forward. We had the vision, we just didn't, couldn't quite figure out how we were gonna pay for it all. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, as a board, Lisa came and, and the team came and said, you know, if we're, if we're gonna be project-based, we need space. And so they, there's some other changes we made too in regards to, to we move classrooms around in different spaces. Um, and we, we started doing lunches in classrooms, which, you know, I know that was a, 
maybe a challenging uh, move at first, but we did that because the middle school needed some project space. And so we turned our cafeteria into educational space. Um, so we had to make that change. And then we did the expansion. And, and the one thing I would say about our board is, um, you know, we've always really worked hard to make sure we find the right skill sets that can support the school in achieving their vision. And so when we knew we were getting ready to do this building project, um, you know, we made sure we had somebody on our team um, that had expertise in, in bonds because, ugh, like, you know, complicated. Um, we also didn't go about this in a traditional way. We we said, you know, we know we need, we, we our, our original bonds were not callable yet. So we were, it was a small amount of money. I mean, you know, a million dollars doesn't seem small, but to lenders is small. Um, and so we searched and, and did some work around the CDFI area and, and we got a CDFI to become our lender, um, which was again, a, another learning process for us, but gave us access to um, the capital to do the project. And then we partnered with, I mean, we, after an RFP process, we partnered with a, a, a contractor um, that's actually local here, who is was just phenomenal to us and works with us and continues to support us as almost like, um, his commitment in the community, um, not just as a contractor who we pay. I mean, just comes when we when when they need us and does things that probably he we're not paying him completely for. I don't know, maybe all of it because he's so committed to our school. And so, it really, this just this expansion, it was it was really for the kids and for the learning, but it really involved so many different people to make it successful and. And we've done it and it hasn't put us, you know, we've, we've also done a great job over the years saving uh, for these kind of situations. And so it's put us still in a, in a really healthy financial spot, um, but allowing us to serve not more kids, serve our kids in a better way. I think that was a tricky piece in getting people to think again outside of the box, because as soon as we started to talk about adding square footage, the very next question was, then how many more students are you going to add, right? Like as if every student can got this much carpet space and that's, you know, for a desk and a chair and changing that mindset was, I don't know that, I mean, obviously we changed it for a few people because it all worked out, right? Um, but that idea that learning is going to need to look different going into the future, all of this now, mind you, happened during the 1920 school year and we thought a construction project was going to be our biggest challenge, right? They broke ground the very first day of school. We were backed up a couple of months because of local stuff and put a shovel in the ground the very first day of school. And we thought that was going to be the tough part of the year. So we've not officially ribbon cut even on that space. It's been beautiful to social distance in and hold, you know, meetings in and we can even come together as a whole staff and still fulfill all of the current health requirements and be together. And we have four new classrooms that we were able to put class students in when we returned um, last August. So we have not even close to reach the potential of that space. Um, and we're very excited um, moving into next school year, have big plans for it. Well, it sounds like the collaboration that we mentioned earlier extends beyond just board administration. It sounds like your collaboration extends into the community uh, and extends to your parents and students. And as we all know, this past year has been really challenging for all schools. And yet Renaissance has been highlighted throughout the pandemic on the quality of education and services uh, that you've been providing students. 
Can you talk a little bit more and, and share a little bit about how you were able to ensure you were serving your students during these really difficult times and what that meant for your collaboration with parents? Let me share one thing, Lisa, and I'll let you jump in. So one thing that Lisa and her team did early on, and I just thought this was phenomenal. Every week they mm -hmm. sent us as parents, and again, I'm speaking as a parent because I it's that go to Renaissance. Every week they sent us a one or two question survey to get a pulse on where we were. The question might be about, um, you know, the rigor of the, of the education, right? And this was immediately when we went, um, you know, when schools, uh, when the buildings closed that March, I think it was, right? Immediately they were talking about rigor. You know, what, how, how are, are we meeting the needs? How, what struggles are you having? Those kinds of things. Every week they ask us one or two questions and the very next week they published the results. They didn't hide the results. They didn't keep the results and not tell us as parents like where we all landed. They came right back and shared the results and talked about what those results were driving them to do. That immediately set up. Um, we had partnership before, but it was at drop off and pick up and you know, the special things. But I'm gonna tell you in the pandemic, just that piece of the communication and the asking us and giving us the giving us the feedback loop was just set the bar and set the partnership for this last year and a half that I think it's just continued to grow. But Lisa, I'll let you add on to that. Well, I mean, to say the last year or so, I mean, that's almost cliche anymore. I mean, we we've we've made it. We've, I, I believe that at Renaissance and in so many other places, we didn't just make it, we, we made it meaningful. And too often the best story is the one of learning loss and failure and all of the sadness. And that is not to say that those things, you know, there hasn't been sadness in this, but that partnership from the very first day, um, when you know, we were told you're not accountable for these days. They're not being counted. Just, you know, just check your boxes and do what you need to do. We never did. So uh, that very first Monday, um, we were on with our kids. We had, you know, our, our staff stepped up and at first it was, are you okay? Are you out there? Are you scared? Do you need technology? You know, all of those things we were ready to go. And we already had a system in place of internal communication between teachers and their families that really proved to be powerful. And we made a commitment that we would get till June and do the entire school year um, with that first pillar of connections and relationships. What we found was we could move beyond that pretty quickly with a large amount of students because families felt they had the connection, felt they knew how to get a hold of us. We were available 24-7. Um, we even bought and set up our own little track phone. Like this is the number for the absolute emergency if something happens for a family. Uh, and, and gave staff permission to say, right now is the time to first make sure those initial human needs are met and then kids can learn. Um, many maintained those relationships throughout the summer. We came back with a commitment to opening our doors. Um, we started the school year with about 50-50 um, 50% came back right away. 50% were um, at home. Um, we called them distance learners instead of saying that they were virtual or online because we felt it was a more personal term to use. And in those terms that we use with each other very much matter. Um, our teachers worked hard. They, they are tired. 
I'm excited for them to have a little bit of time in July because there really last summer was, there was no letdown in this. Uh, and I, the other piece though, is I think it gave families a glimpse into what inquiry is and what project base is, you know, some fam, it just, it, a lot of families sat on the other side of those screens and listened to conversations. And I think it had a much deeper understanding of what, um, you know, what happens at school um, and that school at Renaissance isn't necessarily the school that they, you know, went to when they were kids. So that piece um, goes back to my first answer, you know, the, the commitment on the part of the people that um, walk through these halls at Renaissance every day is, is incredible. And that, that matters. And, but I also, I tell the board on a regular basis, they feel and want a connection with the board. The board definitely communicates, uh, you know, a level of support to administration and staff. And then that starts, you know, again, children's brains are ready to learn when they're calm and adults are ready to do their job when they feel appreciated and connected to the work being done. Um, that's not to say this last year was not hard. Oh, please. No, no. Um, but we have learned and pivoted and I think are going, we're already planning for a school year next year that is, has countless positive impacts from what we've been through. So um, we're excited to, to move forward and have found a way to stay energized through it all. And as you mentioned, planning going forward, really, you know, what, what's the vision, what's the future look like for Renaissance, um, you know, moving through this challenging time and, and outward, hopefully post the pandemic as well. We believe strongly, especially in a K-12 setting that the, in order to do the work we want to do and have students interact the way we want them to, we, we need to see them. We, uh, Six months ago, I may have said no schools will ever pivot back to not having some kind of virtual option or we will be forced to do that. The, the piece is when you think about the fact that a charter school is a choice and the choice that families make here if in understanding that choice is that most of the time we need kids together with their heads around a table talking and collaborating and, do, and learning and, and being messy. Um, it's so much more than just the math and the reading and can you diagram a sentence or, or answer a test question. Uh, at the same time, we're pretty excited about the potential for the flexibility that could also come out of this and being able to look at a school day, a school year, what individual students need for learning um, in a whole different light. Because some of our students, we currently have 25% of our students are still in the distance setup through in a distance learning setup until June. They are hugely successful in really individual ways, many of whom were students who were not in a finding success, oftentimes because of the social and emotional stresses of being a kid in a school in a room with 25 people. And now as we know them as learners and they show up every day and they're not stressed about school and peers or the fact that mom can't get them to school on time ever because of work, right? And they can get themselves to school. The things that we're seeing out of them, we don't want to let go either. So what we're wrestling with is what will that flexibility look like when we also really 
believe in the human side of learning. Um, so we're planning to come back and be messy and together and learning under, under this roof next year. But um, we also want to start to embrace, you know, what's outside of the walls of school with more flexibility. Yeah. I think we talk about um, this idea of we can, we've, we've learned so much in this last year and a half. And Lisa just mentioned a few things and how do, you know, how do we just not return back to where we were and, 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 and take away from all this learning we've had. And so it's, it's something new. And so like we always have done for lots of years, um, early release Wednesdays and, um, our Wednesdays changed this year. They've stayed virtual. We've stayed virtual all Wednesdays. And, um, you know, there's been some really cool opportunities for kids to do some different things. And so the conversation we've had, uh, Lisa and I have been about what, what is Wednesdays look like as we go forward? Um, and, and what does that flexible learning look like? And so it's not to just okay, now we can be back in the building. And so therefore let's go back to what we did before. It's, it's, it's really, we, we don't want to lose and we can gain so much from this last year and a half of learning. And how do we change our program going forward? That's going to take that into consideration. And I think that's what we're, we're experimenting with. And I think that's the greatest thing about this school. We are never been afraid to take a risk. Let's try it. Let's put a different input in. Let's mix it up a little bit. And as Lisa always says, learning, it's messy. And sometimes our learning is messy too. But if we didn't even try, we definitely would never be anywhere close to where we are right now. Well, and I think all the insights that you have shared here today um, certainly are evidence of um, you being selected as the winner of our 2020-2021 School Year Innovation and Vision Award. So we appreciate everything you're doing for your students and for your community. Um, and we are happy and proud that you are a member of the CMU Charter family. So we appreciate all of your insights. And before we let both of you go, um, we love to ask our guests as we're an education podcast about teachers that have had an impact in your life or have led you on this journey to um, being involved in education in schools in your community. So I will kick it over to Lisa Bergman first, but if you want to share, Lisa, about um, a teacher that had a big impact on your life. In anticipation of that question, I, I thought, thought about so many faces of teachers um, and really kept, I landed back on um, my own dad, who throughout my entire life, 30, more than 30 years, um, third grade teacher, in a traditional public school, um, his desks were in perfect rows. Those students knew beautiful cursive. They all left third grade with every multiplication fact. Um, we would often say, my, my dad had the, the ideal teacher voice. Um, we knew when he was in teacher mode versus dad mode. Um, but I was also, and the students here know this story, I was also a um, non-reader um, going into third grade. Had third grade reading law been around 40 some years ago, I would have been getting the letters and in the interventions and my parents would have been going through what so many parents are, are going through with this right now. Um, and he's the guy who sat down with me every night after being at school and taught me to read um, and was patient beyond patient. Um, and so it has been, he's influenced my journey all the way um, because it's I better know my why when I do something now as a grown adult, when I sit down at dinner with my dad and say, um, you know, here's the next messy idea that I have, dad. And 
Um, he continues to learn um, with me, but that's the guy who, uh, who put me where I am today. Well, Lisa, I know why we like each other because the story is, is so similar. Um, I thought about this question and I landed on my mom because my mom was a reading uh, specialist interventionist and she became a reading specialist interventionist because in fifth grade, I couldn't read and I was diagnosed with dyslexia. And my mom tortured me. Um, God, thank you that she did with, you know, sitting and reading. And I mean, she spent countless hours with me at the kitchen table all through high school. She, I faxed her papers in college and she proofread and helped me. And I mean, she literally was the reason why I got through school. And I just, you know, I had some great teachers along the way that my mom partnered with because um, I wasn't going to make it without that additional support. And I, I'm, I'm really lucky that, that I had that in my life too. And some great teachers along the way that helped me. Um, but she was always there sitting right next to me and helping me get through. So without her, I would, um, I definitely would not be where I am today. Well, those are both beautiful stories and uh, we definitely appreciate you guys sharing them. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why you guys have taken such a partnership approach with the parents that you serve in, in, in uh, your community of Renaissance Public School Academy. And so we definitely appreciate uh, both of you sharing uh, your insights and um, some of the backstory and how you guys got where you are today. And, uh, and finally, just wanna make sure that we congratulate you guys again on receiving the Innovation and Vision Award. Uh, great work, keep up the good work and we'll look forward to chatting with you soon. Thank you and thank you for the award and thank you for the partnership with CMU. We appreciate that as a, as a school as well. Thank you.